Open your Bibles this morning to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. A church is a little bit like a family in that it's made up of a lot of different people. A lot of different roles, a lot of different maturity levels, a lot of different personalities. And so in order for life in a church to be what God wants it to be, for there to be peace and for there to be blessings and quote-unquote success and things like that, there are certain attitudes and actions that are necessary. Paul's mentioned love on more than one occasion in this letter. He's mentioned comforting one another. He's mentioned building one another up. We should always be engaged in those things for each other. Our text this morning is a bit more specific. It focuses on the relationship between church members and her leaders. And Paul taught the church at Thessalonica that church members should acknowledge and lovingly respect the pastors working among them. And if they do that, it will go a long way in promoting peace within that church. Let's look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 12 and 13. And we beseech you, brethren, to know them which labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake, and be at peace among yourselves. Well, this is one of those texts that could get really awkward, right? Here's a pastor preaching a sermon to his people about how much you should respect your pastor. If the pastor and the people don't have a good relationship, then this section could be a little crunchy and a little uncomfortable. But honestly, on my part, I don't feel like that. So this is not an uncomfortable message for me to preach to you all. I don't feel disrespected. I don't feel unloved. So let me just say that to start with. I hope that you all know how much I appreciate you and love you. I am very blessed and unworthy to be your pastor. I'm so thankful for the loving relationship that we have with one another. Now that still doesn't mean that we don't need these verses. That doesn't mean that we shouldn't be encouraged by them and can even improve. But for my part, again, hopefully this sermon can be delivered to you all with the same gentle, the same gentle spirit and tone that Paul actually wrote the verses with. And we can see that gentleness with the word beseech. The word beseech is less like a threat and it's more like a friend's admonition. So even when Paul's dealing with what could be a sensitive or a hot topic, you know, how people view their leaders in a church, he still does it with this gentle and encouraging tone. And he urges the people to know those who are leading. And we'll talk about what that means. But first, I want you to notice just overall in these verses that the leadership Paul talks about is always plural. He says to know them, to esteem them, for their work's sake. And I've said this before, but in the New Testament, we most often see men working together, not all alone. If you look back at the very first verse of this letter, notice who wrote it. Paul and Silvanus and Timotheus, or Paul, Silas, and Timothy. Now, Paul gets the headlines, doesn't he? And that's okay. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. He was definitely the leader of the group. But we can't just toss Timothy and Silas aside like they're nothing. They were important men. They were very valuable to Paul. Paul had help. You can see the way he valued these men 
in chapter 3 by the way he described Timothy to the Thessalonians. So this was teamwork even for Paul. Several times throughout the letter we saw the pronoun we used. It is a biblical thing for men to work together for the cause of Christ. It sure seems like in Thessalonica there were multiple leaders, multiple pastors, we might say. And that's a blessing that we have here too, and I hope you don't overlook that. Brother Doug and Brother Connor working alongside of me here are invaluable to me. They help me and encourage me so much. And I know they benefit you all. I hope you see the value there and the benefit. Not all churches have the means to have multiple men serve in a quote-unquote official capacity or to help support them even, even partially. We have that blessing. But even in a church that can't do that, maybe officially, God's work can still and should still be shared. People should be working together. It's a biblical thing. And we'll talk about what those leaders should be doing in just a moment. But first, what did Paul mean in verse 12 when he said, for the people to know those that labor among them, to know their leaders? The word know here is a really common word in the New Testament. It does literally mean to know, to perceive, to understand. But in this context, there's a little more involved than just knowledge, than just simply knowing who they are, knowing their names and that sort of thing. Because in verse 13, we see the parallel when Paul says to esteem them very highly. And so some modern translations use words like acknowledge them that labor among you or respect or have appreciation for them. And that's probably the idea of the word here is that there's a, there's a respect and appreciation and acknowledgement for those pastors that are working among a church. Why do you think Paul brought this idea up all of a sudden though? Is it really that important that people respect leadership? Have you ever been in a church where there was a disconnect between a pastor and the people? I don't want that to ever happen at North Bryant. And if you've been in a church where that's happened, you know the, the friction and the turmoil and the, the disunity that can cause. I want you all to know me as a pastor and as a person. One author wrote, it's common for people to be unkind, critical, and indifferent toward their pastors when they do not know them very well, but believers will not be as likely to have such negative attitudes toward pastors they truly know. It's a valuable thing for people to know and acknowledge their pastors. That is always true. Generally speaking, that's always true. But think about this specific setting for Thessalonica. And I think this comes to life a little bit more. Paul was in the city, but he did not get to stay in the city nearly as long as he would have liked. He had to leave the city prematurely. And Paul loved the people there. And they adored him. Remember when Timothy came back to Paul with a report? He said, Paul, they love you so much. They can't wait for you to be back. They long to see you just like you long to see them. But Paul wasn't there anymore. And that did not mean they should not respect the ones among them. And that's what he says, right? To know them which labor among you. Wouldn't it be sad for the Thessalonians to grumble about their pastors because, boy, Paul was so much better than Brother Matt. Don't you wish Paul could come back so he don't have to listen to Brother Matt preach every Sunday? 
I have no doubt Paul would be a better pastor than me. It was right for them to love and respect Paul. But not at the expense of those who, there were, who were still among them. And there's some obvious modern applications here. Acknowledge the pastors you have instead of the pastors you don't. Be thankful for the men God has given you instead of wishing for the ones he hasn't. It's sort of a hard thing for a pastor to say, but well, wouldn't it be so much better to have Pastor X instead of Pastor Y? And listen, I know some pastors are better than others. I'm not saying that's not true. But when a congregation does not have that acknowledgement, that respect, that appreciation for the leaders that she has, there will be problems and the church will suffer. And understand in all of this, we're not talking about bad pastors. The leaders and the pastors we're talking about here are the ones doing what Paul described in these verses. And we'll talk about that in just a second. We do learn about the work of a pastor in these verses, but ultimately they are more about how the people respond to those men doing those things. Leaders should be doing three things that Paul mentions here specifically. They should be laboring among the people. And this word labor, Paul used at the very beginning of the letter to describe the Thessalonians' own labor of love. And if you remember, it's a word that, that speaks of great effort, even to the point of exhaustion. It's working so hard and so diligently, even if situations or circumstances are difficult. Simply put, a pastor must not be afraid of hard work. He has to labor for God, labor for his family, labor for his congregation. I know this would shock you, but there are lazy pastors out there. Some would probably fit that old joke about pastors only working one day a week. You know, or maybe half a day a week. You know, we don't have Sunday evening services, so Brother Madeline works half a day, Sunday morning. Some preachers are lazy with their studies and their sermon preparation. I personally know preachers in sister churches who have completely plagiarized their sermons instead of putting the hard work in for themselves, studying the Word of God and, and digging out its truth. I know them. Brother Penn's joked with me before that sometimes on Saturday nights there's a lot more hits on baptistlamp.org. I wonder why that is. Yeah. That doesn't mean it's wrong for a preacher to listen to other sermons. It doesn't mean it's wrong to, you know, to, uh, to take some of the work from other men. That, that, I'm not saying that. That's great if that's part of your study process. It's not great if you're just ripping off someone else's ideas. Some pastors are lazy in that regards. Some pastors are lazy in their love for their congregation. They're lazy in the way they care for their people. They're lazy in their prayer life, never praying for their people. A lazy pastor doesn't please God any more than a lazy church member does. And that's one reason why pastors need to be hard workers is because it sets the example for the people. Paul worked in Thessalonica. He set up his tent-making business there in Thessalonica, and he told them in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 that they did work among them to give you in ourselves an example to imitate. How could a pastor confidently preach about the godliness of hard work and the foolishness of being lazy if he himself is lazy? 
Be thankful for those pastors who labor among you. Secondly, be thankful and respect those who are over you in the Lord, he mentions. And don't think of this word as being over you in some sort of domineering, overbearing, cruel manner. It was a leadership word. But pastoring is not about being a dictator. The word literally has the idea of standing before someone. It's more of an idea of leading and guiding and directing, not dominating. In fact, what did Jesus teach about true Christian leadership anyway? If you remember the story in Matthew chapter 20, immediately after Jesus predicted his own crucifixion, the disciples started arguing over where their position in the kingdom would be. After Jesus talked about the most selfless act in history, these guys are selfish. And he taught them that Christian leadership is different from secular leadership. In this world, people do lord their power over other people. He said, but it's not that way in the kingdom of God. If you want to be great in the kingdom of God, you serve, you put yourself under others, which Jesus said he did. The Son of Man came to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. So Christian leaders are not to lord power over their people like secular rulers do, but like Jesus Christ, they are to be examples of what a true servant ought to be. Jesus was the ultimate service, and he set the example for us. The third thing Paul mentions that a good pastor does is admonish you. Some of you have a translation that says give you instruction. It's an education word. It involves teaching. Teaching is a vastly important part of pastoring. When Paul wrote 1 Timothy and, and Titus, and he, and he gave what we sometimes call the qualifications of a pastor, you know the only skill he mentioned there was the ability to teach. Everything else involved in that had to do with the man's character. But he had to be able to teach. He has to have that skill. I'm not picking on or talking about any specific pastor or church when I say this, but generally speaking, I think there are a lot of sheep who are starving to death spiritually today because their shepherd won't feed them from the Word of God. A pastor must admonish his people from the Bible. This word involves teaching, but it's a little bit more than that. One, one author says it's teaching with an element of warning. I really like that. Teaching with an element of warning. And so we, we think about this. Not all teaching necessarily crosses over into the territory of admonishing. Consider it like this. I could teach you all to memorize the Ten Commandments. I could teach you that. 
or I could admonish you to keep them and explain to you how that would change your life, explain to you how your relationship with God and your relationship with other people is an extremely important thing. That's admonishing. It's more than simply making people smarter. It's urging them to change if they need to do so. It's explaining why something might need correcting, explaining why behaviors matter, and encouraging it to, to happen. You might could just say corrective instruction. It's corrective instruction from the Bible. And that's not always an easy thing for pastors to give, which is one benefit of expository preaching. And corrective instruction is not always well-received, is it? But if you know your pastor, and as the next verse will say, if there's a love and a respect there, don't you think that will help soften your heart even if the pastor steps on your toes from the pulpit? Even if your pastor says something that you feel like, he was saying that about me, wasn't he? Well, maybe. Or maybe even in a one-on-one -on -one conversation, he tells you something that you need to do or stop doing or points you to a verse you need to consider, whatever it may be. If you know deep down this man is trying to help me serve God, won't that change the way you receive those admonitions? How should you respond to pastors who are working hard and leading in the Lord and admonishing from his word? Verse 13 says, esteem them very highly in love. The word esteem is an interesting word. It has the idea of something being at the front of your mind. So it's, it's, it's your leading thought. It's your prevailing opinion. It's unquestionably the way you think about something. It's the first thing on your mind, we might say. So if a pastor is doing what he should be doing, then the leading thought in your mind about that pastor should be a very high one. It's the first thing you think of when you think of brother so-and-so who works hard and admonishes and all these. There ought to be a very high opinion of that man. The word's very high. It's a really strong phrase. It has, it has the idea of something overly abundant, even, we wouldn't say excessive, but exceedingly the greatest degree possible. The respect, the appreciation, the value that a congregation places on her pastor should not be half-hearted, but should be genuine and sincere. She should have the greatest respect possible for the men who lead her and take care of her and feed her in the Lord. And yet, this tremendous respect is not some sort of awe that keeps them apart have you ever had so much respect for someone that they intimidated you? I've had that happen. It's almost this invisible barrier that you don't even want to approach them. That's not what should happen in a church. The respect and reverence for a pastor should not lead to remoteness and distance because all of this is done in love. Isn't that what he says? Esteem them very highly in love. One author wrote, it's one thing to follow someone out of respect or out of tradition. It is another altogether to follow in love. Love towards pastors will help everyone. Obviously, it will help the pastor. 
If he knows his congregation loves him, there's a lot of encouragement there. There's a lot of blessing there for him. That's, that's a given. That's obvious. But again, if that love is not present, then how is the congregation going to take the admonishments that he gives from the Word of God? One author mentioned the point that if there's not that love present, that, that the teaching from God's Word will always tend to provoke resentment. I think we can understand that. That makes sense. But this man goes on to say when people have genuine love, they will not merely tolerate the admonitions of their leaders, but will graciously accept them. You should want your pastor to admonish you from God's word, even if it means correcting your behavior. And that should be all done in love. Ultimately, this all boils down to how much you value the kind of work and the responsibilities of your pastor. The reason you should have the highest and utmost respect in love for your pastors is for, notice the end of this phrase in verse 13, for their work's sake. That's the reason. It's not necessarily because of who they are, but because of what they're doing. So how much do you value having a man teach you the word of God? How much do you prize having a man that you trust taking care of the flock of God that you're a part of? How important is it to you to have someone who will admonish you from God's word? Now, it may be difficult for us to separate the person of a pastor from the office of a pastor, from the work of a pastor. I get that. But Paul explained here that the church does not simply respect a man just because he's the pastor. They should respect him because of the pastoral work he does. A pastor should never say, you listen here. You're going to respect me whether you like it or not because I'm the pastor. It's my name on the office door, not yours. What should happen is the people value what he does so much that he earns their love and greatest respect when he does it because of the work. And that makes sense because just because someone is a pastor doesn't necessarily mean he's doing the work. It doesn't mean he's worthy of the respect. There are bad pastors out there who are not working, who are not taking care of their flocks, who are not preaching from the Bible. They are not the ones deserving of high esteem. But if they're doing the work, they deserve the highest respect you can give them because they're doing what God has called them to do, and they're doing it for your benefit. And then almost randomly at the end of the verse, Paul says, and be at peace among yourselves. What in the world? I think if we think about it, it makes a whole lot of sense to add this encouragement of peace right here after he's talking about leadership and how you view that. If a pastor's doing what God's word demands and the people have no respect or love for him, do you think that church is at peace? I doubt it. I don't doubt it. I know it. They're not. If that relationship that Paul has, has urged us to have is not there. There will not be peace, and that church will not be all that she can be. 
technically speaking, this is a continuous command. When he said, be at peace, that was not a suggestion. It is a command. And so here's some of that admonition I'm supposed to give you. Being at peace with one another is a matter of obedience. Will you make peace happen? Will you keep the peace? Or will you stir things up and create conflict? Now, that can happen in a lot of different ways, but in this context, it can definitely happen if you disrespect your pastors. What do you think it does if a fellow church member hears or sees your lack of respect for the man who's their pastor too? What do you think that does to their heart? I would, I would assume it puts a wedge between them and the pastor too. Or if they disagree with you and they respect a pastor, then the wedge might, between, might be between you and them. Because y'all don't share the same view of your pastor. What do you think your children think when they hear the parents bad-mouthing the pastor at home? At least put your kids to bed before you say something bad about me, your brother Doug, or brother Connor. I'm glad y'all laughed at that. There's only been one perfect pastor in history, and that was Jesus when he started his church. Since then, churches have been led by imperfect men. That does not mean there have never been any other good pastors. When a pastor works hard and leads in the Lord and admonishes the people from God's word, that man's faithfully doing what God's called him to do, and men like that deserve your acknowledgement and your highest respect and love because their work is that important. And when church members do that and acknowledge and lovingly respect those pastors working among them, it will go such a long way in producing and promoting peace within the whole church. I'm thankful for the relationship that I have with you. And I truly hope this didn't come across like a finger-wagging sermon. But we can always strive to improve, right? We can always strive to improve our mutual respect and mutual love for one another. And that will do a lot for our peace. The psalmist who wrote Psalm 133 said, Behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. There's nothing like peace and unity. Nothing like it. I love you as a church, and I love you all individually. I'm thankful to be working among you. Please pray for me as I pastor. Pray for Brother Doug and Brother Connor. The greatest and most important admonition I can give you here today is that if you've never trusted in Jesus as your Savior, you need to repent and trust Him today. The Holy Spirit is convicting your heart. You need to submit to that leadership. You need to trust Him. God loved you so much that He sent His Son to die for you. That's a great father. Father, thank you so much for this day that you've given us, for the worship that we've 
had this morning and that we've offered you. We pray that you've received glory and honor from it. And help us as a church to heed the words that Paul gave to the, this ancient city, Lord, and this ancient church. Help us to love one another and respect one another. And just give us peace, Lord, and help us, as imperfect as we are, to make disciples, Lord, and to follow you. Forgive us of the times that we fail you. Thank you so much for your mercy and grace. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.